Hi everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today we are joined by Dr. Dan Birdkopf on the second of a two-part episode. Dan is the Director of Heart Failure, Hemodynamics, and Circulatory Support at the Cardiovascular Research Foundation. He is here with us today to speak about some of the advanced concepts of pressure volume analysis, including best practices to follow in the lab during data acquisition and statistical analysis. Let's jump in. One question I'd like you to, to field here is maybe just going back to reviewing v naught or volume zero. So what is the significance of v naught, and, and how should this be understood? Well, v0 is the volume at which there is no pressure generation inside the chamber. And the concept of v0 applies to ventricles, it applies to vessels and vascular systems as well. It is the, the it's in a more generic way, it's referred to as the unstressed volume. So imagine you have a balloon and you start filling it with water, right? There's not going to be any pressure generation in that balloon until you reach a certain, a certain volume where you, start, you just start putting tension on the wall. So that's what V0, that's what the unstressed volume is. And any, any physical chamber has an unstressed volume. And for the ventricle, we call it V0, and it's, it would be the unstressed volume with the muscle of the chamber in its most contracted state. And you can see, like for example, on this screen, you know, V0 is going to be all the way down here for when the muscle is in its contracted state. But if you're talking about in the diastolic state, that chamber, you can put a lot more volume in it until you start, you know, until pressure starts elevating. And so in, in reality, the V0 for and systole and end diastole are, are probably not exactly the same. It's just that the equations that we use to describe end diastolic pressure volume relationship are so shallow um, in the low volume range that it doesn't matter really what you what you put in here for V0. Right, right. Okay. Very good. Okay, so to read this one, work by Glauer indicated the end systolic pressure volume relationship was relatively low and heart rate independent within a defined physiologic range. What afterload and heart rate ranges do you feel pressure volume loop relationships are most appropriately utilized? So this question, there's two parts. One is that pressure volume analysis, in my mind, is always applicable. The question is whether, for example, will the ESPVR change at a different, as you change heart rate? So the answer is, over a relatively narrow range of heart rates, like for example, say from, from 70 to 90, the ESPVR does not really change very much. But if you go to extreme, extreme low values or extreme high heart rates, the ESPVR does change. And that is a reflection of the fact that the contractility of muscle is also rate dependent. And this has been known since the 1800s. There's a phenomenon called Treppe effect, which is as you increase the heart rate of an isolated muscle, the strength of the muscular contraction, that is the peak isometric force, increases. And we see that recapitulated in the end systolic pressure volume relationship. It's just that in that range from, like, say, 70 to 90, it doesn't really change very much. So it's not that the ESPDR is not valid or not useful. It's just that in, with regard to heart rate, the, you know, the contractility changes and the ESPDR changes in accordingly. 
So that's, that's the heart rate. With regard to afterload, there is also been identified a, and this is really a second order phenomena, that contractility is not really completely independent of afterload. So as you increase the afterload, and, and again, work in muscle, kind of this, this is borne out by work in isolated muscle, as you increase the afterload, the, the duration of contraction increases and the strength of contraction increases. And it is a very small effect, but very reproducible, especially in isolated muscles. And we were able to identify the same phenomenon in the intact heart, and we've, we've quantified this, and we've also linked it mechanistically to length-dependent changes in calcium sensitivity of the myofilaments. So there are subtle changes in, in contractility with afterload changes, but I would say that those are so subtle as they would not be able to be identified in an intact animal. These were really high, these were studies where we had very accurate measurements of volumes with balloons inside of canine hearts. I don't think there's a practical implication of afterload dependence for the ESPDR. On the other hand, the heart rate, I think you do need to, you need to know that heart rate does change the ESPDR and that does indicate a change in contractility. Okay. What we'll do is plan to answer the previous slide. I think it would, there, we have one other question on load independent measurements that we selected and then we've got a couple methodologies and best practices. I mean, if you would, if you think you can touch on this very shortly, this, the, the one we've talked about was speckle tracking. Can you maybe provide comments for a couple minutes on this one? Okay. So strain rates and related analyses have been suggested as load-independent means of measuring myocardial function and can be looked at globally to assess ventricular function in vivo with techniques like speckle tracking. Can you comment on this and your opinion regarding myocardial strain analysis as a practical load-independent measure of cardiac function? So I will say, I'll, I'll just give a caveat that this is my opinion because there, it, it, it there is no way that a, a change of a segment length can be load independent in, in the heart. And so I don't think that, that this can provide, that speckle tracking can truly provide a load independent impact of, on uh, a, load, a load independent index of a function. When you look at function, you need to look at stress and strain. If you're going to the, to the level of the of regional wall regional wall properties, which is what you're doing when you're looking at strain rates. You need to look at stress strain. It, it, just as the same, you need to look at pressure volume when you're looking at heart heart function. If looking at you know looking at strain on its own would be comparable in the intact heart to looking at you know at stroke volume or the ejection fraction. We know that these these indexes are load dependent. So at taken in the, in, at the, just at the theoretical level, mm -hmm. strain rate cannot be truly load independent. And if you take it to the extreme, you can see that if you just have, if you clamp the aorta and have an isovolumic contraction, your strain rate is going to be extremely small, yet you're going to have a very high pressure generation, high strain rate, high, mm -hmm. high stress. So it cannot be, you know, the statement, you know, on its own, Without any caveats, you know, strain by itself cannot be an index of contractility. Would it be would it be fair to say that it would work in concert with all these other measurements, though, and perhaps other tools used to look at cardiac function? 
Sure. I mean, strain, strain is, is an important way to characterize what the heart, you know, what the heart is doing on a regional, on a regional basis. It's just that you have to couple that with some assessment of stress to, to really arrive at something that is related to contractility. Perfect. It's a great answer. You know, I've got one final one for you, something light. It's, it's come in from Gus at Sonometrics, and he wants to know, who is the gentleman pictured in the bottom right corner? <laughs> that is William Harvey. <laughs> it, and g- give a little background quick on, on William Harvey. So William Harvey was, uh, a, was a famous physician, physiologist in the 1600s who, who discovered the circulation of blood through the body. And it's who we chose to name the app on, our pressure volume app based on. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.